We are more than uh, conquerors in Jesus Christ, and we do experience victory. And I think it's important that we understand what that victory really is. It doesn't mean that everything always goes our way. It doesn't mean that we always win and never lose, at least not in worldly terms. But it does mean that we have been freed from powers, that we have been freed from sins that would destroy us if not for Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to show you an, an interesting story that, that, uh, that causes us to adjust our thinking on what it means to be victorious, powerful, and successful. You'll find it in Matthew 20. Uh, I often get asked what translation. I'm pretty sure this is the New Living Translation. In Matthew 20, uh, Matthew records a moment where the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, here are the sons of thunder, and they send their mother to ask Jesus a favor. Kind of makes you wonder sometimes if sons of thunder was sort of a, a sarcastic joke. I don't know. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus, or the mother of James and John, came to Jesus with with her sons, and she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, Jesus asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please, let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Let's just pause the reading right then. First of all, I want you to imagine that you're James or John and your mother has just asked Jesus to give you a place of honor. Wow. Uh, I remember getting in trouble once at school. Well, I got in trouble a lot at school. But I remember one time in particular because my mother happened to be there and she thought that I was unfairly accused and she went to plead my case to the principal and the whole time I was like, let it go, let it go, let it go, all right? I'll, I'll, I'll run my laps. I'll do whatever I got to do. Just please. I don't want my mother going in there and fighting my battle for me. So I have a lot of sympathy for James and John. I don't know what caused all this, but here it is, this moment, and their mother has to ask, could you give them a job? You know, just, just each one, you know. I got two, uh, one on the right, one on the left. It's a small thing, but, you know. If you're just thinking about it, Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. So if they weren't keen on this before, now they are. Oh, yes. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people. And the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Just got to stop right here again and get you to really feel what's going on. First of all, Jesus tells them, 
you, you are going to share in my suffering. This idea of drinking my cup means to have a share in, in what's going on. He says, you know, you, as my followers, you will s- s- share in that, that suffering that comes along with this mission that the Father has sent us on. And first of all, Jesus is telling them, you know, you, you really know what you're asking for. Because you're thinking about power. You're thinking about prestige and honor. He says, hey, you will share in the suffering. But he says, I don't even, I can't even hand out the honor of sitting at the right or the left. And if you stop and think about it, in some ways, that honor is going to be reserved for two unnamed thieves. Two unnamed bandits who will be crucified, one on his right, one on his left. But here's this interesting moment where Jesus says, I, I, I'm so surrendered to the Father, I don't even have the authority to give out this honor that you ask, to give you this favor that you want. But as far as sharing in the suffering, well, that's going to come with discipleship. Now, what's odd is after that, the other ten are upset that James and John got the jump on them. I mean, I don't know how the conversation goes. Peter and Andrew talking. Why didn't we get our mom to show up and ask him, you know? What is this? You know? And, uh, you know, but they're all upset because now there's infighting. And what's the infighting about? It's, it's like one of those moments where the polite understanding is nobody wants to ask for that special privilege of being the right-hand, left-hand man. But these two and their mother dared to ask, and now they're shocked. They're shocked to find out that you would dare to ask for that privilege. And yet they wanted it too. So Jesus has to call them together and establish some things. As for the rulers of this world, he says, you know how they do things. They lord it over people. Their officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Now, listen to these words of Jesus. But among you, it will be different. I don't know that we we emphasize that statement of Jesus strong enough. Sometimes we've got that passive voice of Jesus. The rulers of this world do it like this and the officials do it like that. But among you, it'll be different. I think Jesus is rather emphasizing to them, we gentlemen are going to do things very differently in the kingdom. Remember that it was Peter's mistaken idea that Jesus ought to be leading an army that caused him to pull Jesus aside and say in Mark chapter 8, they don't need to hear you talking about, you know, being crucified and all that. And Jesus' answer is not, well, Peter, maybe you got a point. His answer is, you get behind me. You've got the wrong idea. And this is actually tempting. Get behind me. You're Satan. Jesus says that there's a very different way of doing things in the kingdom. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Those are... Not only humbling roles, humbling sounds better. Oh, humble ourselves. When we humble ourselves, we, we, we get to humble, and it's almost like humble brag. We get to, oh, look at how humble I am. 
but humiliating is different. And I'm not really comfortable with those words, especially the word slave. That's not, those aren't good words, but Jesus says those words. There's no other translation. You've got to become the first among you is going to be like the lowest among you in the world. The greatest is going to be the one who serves you. Turns things around. This is a very different way of looking at things. This is the upside down kingdom. This is the teaching that, that causes these disciples to stop and think, you know, why? Why is it going to be this way? Why, why is it going to be so different because of this? Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, understand we can take, it is so easy for us to hear service and we think, well, that's okay. That's okay. Sure. Son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And we sometimes have an idea that service is a path to success. And so if you're running for political office, you know, you're going to have that photo op where you're going to roll up your shirt sleeves and you're going to go work at a soup kitchen or you're going to go do something to show that you're, you're just one with the folks and you're helping people out. Or, strangely enough, we've gotten into this real habit in our culture, and I'm not against this, but it's just kind of interesting that we have what are called service awards. We want to honor and praise the people who are helping everybody And sometimes we turn it into a competition. How many people have you helped? How many people have you served? Is it really service when it just becomes stuff that we pad the resume with? I mean, it's okay. Some of you are going to ask me, hey, I need some service hours for this, that, or the other, and I'll show it on a resume. I'm happy to help you with that. I'm happy to help you with that. I'm not naive, okay? But I'm thinking. I'm just asking you to think with me. Just kind of ponder these things. Because sometimes we have to stop and think about this. Sometimes you have to stop and think about this rather than just have the reaction that the world wants you to have or the reaction that you think is normal. Because every once in a while you're going to glance up, you're going to read the news, you're going to watch the news, you're going to hear the news, and you're going to see things that just shouldn't be. Like, for example, how did Aunt Becky from Full House end up becoming, you know, a, a criminal? If you don't know what I'm talking about, this is the college admission scandal that's going on right now. And yeah, there's a lot of big news I know that's out there. And you might be wondering, why is this a thing? And that's the question I want to ask. Why is this a thing? And so you have all of these wealthy parents who are trying to get their children into prestigious schools. And they're paying anywhere up to half a million dollars to guys like this fellow in the middle. His name is Rick Singer who has this, uh, I don't know, this operation where if you pay him and he makes your kids look good, you get in. And one of those uh, is, is, is Lori Laughlin, Aunt Becky on Full House, and then um, uh, Felicity Huffman, who was on Desperate Housewives, which I, I never watched. And um, anyway, but again, the celebrity factor plays into this. And I, I'm, I'm actually genuinely disturbed by this whole thing. And, and I, I, I feel for it because... These, these are people that you're thinking, wait, wait what happened here? Why, why all this pressure to, to get their children the enrollment and the application to the top school? 
I mean, in some ways, they're doing what James and John's mother is doing. Secure a future for my children, Jesus. Secure a future for my sons. Give me the honor of being the mother of the Messiah's two greatest generals. Please. And what is it about our world and our culture that we have created values of success that are defined by the power of the materialistic, results-driven, competitive standards of success. I'm telling you, we got to stop and think about this because it's, before we know it, we'll be caught up in the game. You won't even realize it. It's so subtle. You know, this isn't one of those things you can just easily say no to. You know, oh, well, that's clearly wrong. That's clearly bad. No, we don't want to do that. How about getting into a good college, making good grades, and being very successful? Hey, that's all right. We need more successful Christians, uh huh? Yeah. And we need some unsuccessful ones too. But the, the uh, there's a couple of books out right now. Uh, one of them is called um, uh, the, the the Power of Privilege, and and in that book, the author she is a counselor, and she talks to uh, parents who their generation of children, which would be this generation, many of them are privileged, many of them have um, uh, opportunities to do well, they're driven to success, and they are incredibly, very incredibly unhappy. And, and, and her, her word is simply, back off of the helicopter parenting. Back off on being the tiger mom. And by the way, in preparation for this, I have learned some new phrases that I didn't know. Tiger mom being one of those. I, I don't even know if that's right. It, you know, it, but it's the idea that you have, you know, there the, the mother of James and John is that helicopter parent making out that her children are okay. Why? So that they can survive because it's great honor. What are we doing to helicopter over the next generation to make sure that they do things that affirm us? To make sure that they do things that we think are important. Instead of handing them over to God and saying, look, what do you want to do with their lives? Can we really, any of us, say it is more important to us that our children are completely sold out to God and will go where he wants and do what he wants. I'd rather see them do that than make a B average. I mean, some of us are like, B average? Wait, no, no, they got to they be in the 99th percentile. I know. But we've got to be, and, and listen, I'm not putting any of us down and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying this power to strive for success is out there. And it doesn't just happen with our children, it happens with us. We think that we've got to achieve success. We think that we've got to be in positions of power. We think that we need to be in positions of influence. Otherwise, we won't be able to do God's work. What values of success and victory do we celebrate? That's going to tell us a lot. That if, if, if we are simply pouring a, um, a kind of a, 
a Christian glitter over worldly ideas of success and victory, then we, don't, we, we need to stop and listen to Jesus who's saying, hey, among you, it's going to be different. You don't get to just take the world's idea of success and slap a Christian label on it. Made by the cross. And then we're all stressed out, unhappy. Generations are turned against each other. And no one is pleasing God. And we're not pleasing anyone at all. This quest for success will take us in a different direction. But it will tell us that the direction we're going is victory. Don't believe it. It's a lie from the prince of this world. Jesus warned us about the rulers of this world. And he's not talking about your elected officials. That would include them, but it's not limited to them. He's talking about anybody who wants to be the great ones of this world. Anybody who wants to be the people of prestige. Okay? And, and, and if you live in any kind of society that's oriented towards class or oriented... To, and, and, and we don't have that. We don't have... The upper class and the lower class and the middle class, we, we base it on income. But you're not born into privilege, not really, not in this, not in this country. I mean, we have this, this idea that no matter who you are, you know, you're born penniless and you can become a millionaire in America, okay? We have that idea. But in other countries and in the past, you were born into a royal family, you were born into a family of prestige, you were born into a family with uh, authority. And so those people determine deserve a certain amount of respect. People have different levels of value. And Jesus is warning about that. And he says, you know that the people in this world, the rulers of this world, whether they got there by force, whether they got there by birthright, whether they got there by privilege, whether they just got there in their own mind, what they do is they lord it over others. You know, we, 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 can, we can even appoint people to positions of power, even in the church, and they lord it over others. And, and, and those are those moments when we all wonder, you know, have we made a mistake here? What's going on? Or we, we don't know what to do. Jesus says, it's not going to be that way in my kingdom. You're not going to lord it over others. The rulers of this world take pride in being authoritative. They, they, they want to show, show that they're the ones that are in charge. Sometimes we do that by being rebellious. I don't have to answer to anybody. Man's king in his own castle. I don't have to do anything. I don't care what other people think. I'm going to do whatever I want. Rah, rah. Boy, you're in charge. Look at that. Ruler of this world. That's what you are. And all the different ways that that shows up and manifests itself, we become the rulers of our own little worlds, and I think the thing that happens in a culture like ours is each of us becomes the Lord over our own little kingdom and all the people who are lords over their little kingdoms don't care. And that's the tragedy in it. Finally, the rulers of this world control access to privilege. Did you notice that? That, that, that one might not as be as obvious, but it's there. The, the rulers of this world uh, want to be in a position where, notice, there's not a coup here. James and John and their mother are not saying, hey, let's take over. 
You know, we'll, we'll take Jesus out and we can be the Messiah. They know better than that. And that's what you have to understand. These are not evil people. These are basically decent people who really believe in Jesus. What follows this text in Matthew is the story of Jesus healing two blind men. James and John suffer from a spiritual blindness. They think that they see, but they can't. They don't quite see it. But James and John are going to be on the right hand and the left hand. Why? Because they want to control access to power. Anybody wants to talk to Jesus, you've got to talk to us first. And that's what we often do. If we can control access to information, if we can control access to resources, then we're rulers of this world. And again, sometimes we try to Christianize that, and it just doesn't work. Jesus tells us every time that the, the words that Jesus spoke to his 12 disciples is the same thing that he will tell us every time. Among you, it will be different. Not, it should be different. Not, it could be different. Not, try to be different. It will be different. That is an authoritative word from the Lord. So we're going to do things differently, are we? We've got two questions in. How and why. The how looks like this, a different model for the kingdom. That the first and the greatest among you, first of all, is going to be a servant. And this isn't that photo opportunity servant. This is that willingness to give of self. To see to the good of another. The greatest among you is going to be your servant. Now, notice he doesn't say the greatest among you is going to be the one who outserves everybody else. And you've got everybody jockeying for position at the you know at the at the homeless outreach center, you know. I fed this many people today. I'm going to do more than you. It's a competition. Let's see how many people we can outdo. How many mission trips have you been on? The first and greatest among you, he doesn't say, is going to be the one that outserves everybody else. He says it's going to be your servant. Wait. I thought I'm supposed to be the servant. No, he says your servant. What a strange phrase. In other words, you need to look to the one who's serving and realize That person is greater than you in the kingdom. And you need to be greater by having that servant heart. Now remember that in John 13, here is John the apostle. He was there on the night that they broke the bread. He drank the cup. We've observed the communion today, folks. It started there. John was there. Matthew was there. Mark was not, Luke was not, and yet they all have their story of what happened. John then could have said, I want to tell you how it was like for me, because let me tell you, it was pretty important. I was right there next to him. I was right there. But instead, he decides to tell the story about Jesus washing everyone's dirty feet. And yet an example was given where Jesus says, do you understand what I'm doing for you? 
He was showing us what it's like in the kingdom, the upside-down kingdom. He was showing us what victory and success really looks like. The first and greatest in the kingdom is going to be the slave. You see, slavery in the ancient world was an institution. Um, still is, sadly, in many parts of the world, and it still is, sadly, in, in our, even in our history. But it was very much accepted as an institution where you would have the slave owners, and you would have, of course, the parent, the father of the house. They were patriarchal. You would have the, the mother and the children, and then you would have the household slaves. They were, they were owned by the family, and maybe they had families of their own, but they were at the lowest rung of this family ladder, this family hierarchy. They were not first. You would never hear the statement, oh, that's the first slave. That's the, that's the slave that's, uh, you know, first in line. It would never be that way. These were the servile people. These were the people who were indebted to someone else. But he says in the kingdom, that's the person that moves to the head of the line and becomes first. He says it's going to, now that's, that's the how. The why is because it's just like the son of man. The son of man who's supposed to be the judge, the king, the ruler, the Messiah that comes at the end of time. You're expecting someone to show up out of the sky, set everything right, and then everybody who's in the son of man's good graces ends up succeeding and being victorious. Because after all, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and we know the son of man. James and John, their mothers right there, you know, give them a job right and left. No, he says, you're going to be just like the Son of Man. Who of all things is a ransom? Not only did he come, you know, we love that phrase, he did not come to be served, but to serve. And once again, our worldly idea of service comes into this, and we think, isn't that wonderful? He's a man of the people. He's there to help people out. Look at him. He's over there. He's handing out lemonade to people who are thirsty. No, he came to serve as a ransom, a ransom. What is a ransom? It's one of those words you got to stop and think about. We think of a ransom as ransom money. Uh, not very long ago, a uh, a movie was made about J. Paul Getty, and it had Kevin Spacey in the role originally. But then, when he fell out of favor, they got Christopher Plummer to come in and and you know, immediately replace Kevin Spacey in the movie. And the story is, is that his grandson gets kidnapped and they want a ransom and he will not give the ransom. The movie's called uh, All the Money in the World. We think of a ransom as a kidnapping. Somebody's being held and then money has to be given. Sometimes it was money. Sometimes it's somebody exchanged for somebody in combat or in warfare. The idea of ransom and hostage are kind of woven together. The word exists before it's used in the Bible, and the idea of a ransom is actually found about a hundred years before Jesus in the story of Julius Caesar. Now, you've probably heard of him. He has a salad named after him. And so Julius Caesar is a young guy, and he's, he's you know, sailing through the Greek ocean to, uh, to go, you know, he's heard that there's an opportunity to be very successful and to maybe, you know, take over the leadership in Rome. And along the way, he meets some pirates. Yeah. And, uh, and these pirates capture him. And they say, we're going to hold you for ransom. 
because you're pretty valuable. You're going to be a very successful person. And they said, we're going to demand 20 talents of silver. And Caesar says, are you kidding? I'm worth at least 50. Yeah, that happens. So, I mean, you know, he's telling them, look, my ACT score is a lot higher than what you think. All right? I deserve 50 talents of, of silver. So he tells them to demand 50. And they get it. They call Caesar's people. You're going to pay 50? Caesar's on the other you know, side of it saying, you'd better pay 50. I'm not, le- I'm not leaving here for 20. That would be an insult. And then as he's leaving and they're like, hey, bye, Caesar. Thanks for your management tips. That was great. I mean, we were cool with 20, but you've said 50. And Caesar says, that's all right, boys. I'm glad you've learned the lesson. Now, one more thing before I go. I'm going to get an army and I'm going to come back here and I'm going to crucify every one of you. They're like, hey, Caesar, what a guy. And then he did just that. He came back with an army and he crucified every one of the pirates. Well, it wasn't that harsh. He slit their throats before he crucified them. That's Caesar, man of compassion. That's what it looks like for Caesar. And Caesar is often used as a symbol for the powers of this world, and that's fitting. That's what it looks like for Caesar to deal with ransom. But for Christ to deal in ransom, Christ is substituting himself for us. We are ransomed from the power of sin. Christ comes in and and says, listen, all of those people that you're asking 20 talents of silver for, the people of this world, he says to the prince of this world, to the evil one, remember, the reason the Son of Man appeared, this is 1 John 3, the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So he, Jesus, is not paying off his father. He's paying off the prince of this world. And he's not just paying him off. He's ransoming himself. He's taking the place to say, look, I will be your hostage. You let them go free, you get me. But Caesar's worth 50 talents of silver. What's Christ worth? A lot. He's the son of man. Prince of this world can't pass up that bargain. And we are ransomed from the power of sin. Now, there's a rest of the story, but I don't want to go there just yet. We'll do that next week. There's a rest of the story where the prince of the world can't hold on to the ransom that he gets. We'll, we'll save that for next week, okay? But I want you to understand this. Jesus didn't just pay the ransom the way J. Paul Getty was supposed to pay it. Jesus didn't just pay the ransom the way Caesar's people paid 50 talents of silver and then he got to come back and put some hurt on some people. We are not just paid up and off the hook. It does not do for you and I to say, that's good. I'm glad that Jesus paid that bill because I could never pay it. Now I get set free. Well, on to worldly success for me. What am I going to do with my life now? Jesus has saved my life. You and I have been bought. We've been purchased. The greatest in the kingdom is servant and slave. We belong to something greater than our own worldly ideas of self. He says, among you, it 
will be different because you've been ransomed. You've been saved from that worldly quest for success. You've been rescued from all that. Don't go back into it. A ransomed life looks different when you realize that the Son of Man came to serve you by setting you free from sin's power. Things have got to change. There's a whole new way of living in store. Take a look at this verse. This is from the, uh, uh, the Common English Bible. And I like this translation, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, imitate God like dearly loved children. First of all, notice who you are. You're dearly loved children. Good parents would give themselves up for their kids. Therefore, imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. He was a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. That's the idea of the ransom. He was ransomed. He gave himself for us. And actually, Paul's weaving together two terms there, the sacrifice and the ransom. He's just Because not one will do. It's, he's, he's trying to explain it with all the words that he has at his disposal, and words always fall short. In 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, we have the other mention of ransom. There's one God, one mediator between God and mankind, this man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Now that verse appears in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. It showed up during our communion as we considered what it meant for him to be the ransom who gave himself up for us so that, going back a slide, we can live by his example. Now you know what's interesting about this 1 Timothy passage? If you read the whole of 1 Timothy, that seems like one of those big idea statements, one of those big cosmic ideas. There's one God. That's a big thought. There's one mediator between God and mankind. That's deep theology. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for the people. That's the sort of thing that we could go to lunch and we could talk about and we could say, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? And then eventually we would say, yeah, but what does this mean for me today in my everyday life? You know, it's interesting. That verse, if you read the whole of that chapter, comes, there's a discussion leading up to that statement and a discussion following it on how we ought to behave, how we ought to live our lives, how we ought to show up at worship, how we ought to behave ourselves in worship, how we ought to treat people every day. I mean, it even gets into stuff to the way that we ought to, you know, the the clothes we ought to wear and stuff like that. It's very mundane. It's very earthly. He says, first of all, I'd have men everywhere lift up holy hands and pray and pray for your leaders. And just sounds like a lot of good advice. Really what it is is, It's a description of how it's going to be different among you. But not just different for the sake of being different. Not just being peculiar because peculiar is the end thing. Or we don't want to be like anybody else. But being different because you've been ransomed. And life has to look different when you realize it's rescued. That's real victory. Now, this morning, I don't want you to beat yourself up, getting all stressed out, trying to figure out how to be successful in the kingdom. I would not want you to get all upset, worrying about how you can do more to make God more and more happy. 
what I would rather you do and what I am asking myself to do is trust in the one who gave his life for me. Trust in the one who gave his life as a ransom for you. If you're wondering, if you're thinking, well, I don't know, did he really give his life a ransom for me? I mean, does he really? I'm looking at that verse up there. It says all people. The opposite of all people is no people. You're not no people. You're some people, and that includes all people. And he gave his life a ransom for you. So how's it going to look different among us? Stop chasing the world's version of success. Trust in him. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would be with us this morning as we place our trust in you. Lord, we confess to you that we have worried ourselves. We have uh, run ourselves ragged. We, some of us have exhausted ourselves. We're, uh, we're, we're just stressed out, and uh, we've suffered damage from it because we've chased after the world's ideas of success and safety and security. And, Father, please free us from that. And would you please teach us how to be more like the Son of Man, your Son, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, including us. Father, hear this prayer from us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song. If we can encourage you today, we want to.